Father, may we just build our lives upon you, upon your gospel, upon your love for us. May we just lay our lives, our plans, our desires, our temptations just at your feet, Lord. Just give it all over to you. Surrender to you. Work and move this morning. Speak through your word, Lord. We just love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory. It's your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Have a seat. Well, good morning. Okay, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, all right? So we can do so much better than that. Come on. Here's the thing. Today I've heard a lot of people say this. I'm just tired. Anybody tired? Hey, listen, forget that. You have been able to enter into the presence of the king, right? I mean, forget your tiredness. You have had the moment to enter into the presence of the king. He deserves all we've got. Amen? Amen. So let's try this again. Good morning. Man, we're awesome. You did so good. I'm so proud of you. We did have such a good morning this morning already. And so today we're going to continue in a, uh, our gospel of Matthew. And really we're going to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to be looking at the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, the interesting thing about mysteries is this. When you think of mysteries, you think of things that are hidden or things that are just simply unknown. And hopefully they get revealed. Now, some of you may read like, his, or like mystery novels or watch movies that are driven by a mystery. And so there's a point where you're like, there's, there's something hidden here, there's something unknown, and hopefully by the end, I will know this mystery. Now, one thing you know about mysteries, whether it's books or just mysteries in general, is this truth. There's always more than what meets the eye, right? There's always more there than what meets the eye. Now, the interesting thing is this, is that Jesus, over the next couple of chapters we're going to look through, Jesus unlocks and reveals and unfolds several mysteries about the kingdom of God. Now, there's several ways that Jesus does that. One is just you see the narrative of the story in a couple of weeks of just some things that happened. In fact, Elijah will be preaching that week, and we talk about John the Baptist, and you're going to see the mystery of suffering just kind of unveil through the story of John the Baptist. Well, but he also does it not just through narrative. You see it happen through the miracles of Jesus. I mean, if you think about some of the miracles we've seen, every time a miracle happened, wasn't there a moment in people's lives where it unveiled a truth about who he was? Like, for example, in John chapter 11, we, we didn't read it because it's not Matthew's gospel, but in John chapter 11, it's one of my favorite passages, it's where Jesus goes and Mary and Martha are sad because their brother Lazarus is dead. And he's not just dead, he's dead, dead. I mean, he's been dead for four days, and by Jewish law, that means the soul has gone on, and he's no longer there. He's like dead, dead. And so Jesus shows up, and Jesus says this very simply, Lazarus, what? Come forth. Now, if you're in the crowd that day, you're like, it's not happening. Remember, he's dead, dead. This is, this is not happening. Then what happens? Lazarus strips the grave clothes and comes out of the graves. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I'm not speaking for you, but I'm speaking for me, and I'm probably speaking for you too. If you were there that day, isn't there a moment you're going, okay, he's God, right? right? I mean, this guy did something nobody else can do. This just revealed to me that who he is, he's God, I'm with him, I'm on your, yay Jesus, right? I'm with you, the number one finger. That's me, I'm going with you now, right? Why? Because he just revealed something about himself. But another way Jesus reveals the mysteries of the kingdom is through parables. Now, you know what parables are, and you've probably heard this before said, that a parable is nothing more than an earthly story with what? A heavenly what? meaning, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it's basically stories that Jesus would tell that would relate it to the people of the day, but then he drops down and he gives a very, very powerful spiritual side to that. 
Now, the interesting thing about parables is this, and we're going to see it today. Right in the middle of our passage, which we're not going to read, right in the middle, like verses 11 through 17, the, the disciples look at Jesus and go, why do you teach with parables? I mean, why are you using this? Why not just teach like you did in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall say, I mean, why not teach that way? Why parables? And Jesus was very, very forward in what he said. He said, listen, there's two reasons I teach in parables. Number one is to conceal, and number two is to reveal. Here's what he meant. If you, you can read it later, verse 11 through 17, the chapter we're about to get to. He says this, that on one hand, he, if you notice at the end of most parables, Jesus says this, he who has ears, let him what? Hear. Now, we all will look around the room and go, everybody has an ear in the room, Right? That's not Jesus' point. It's not physical. It's not spiritual. Those who are, want to hear, let them hear and understand. Now, if you look at chapter 13, verse 11 through 17, you can do it later. What you find out is Jesus says, there's some people who don't buy into what I'm doing. There's some people who are not on board with what I'm doing. And so when they hear what I'm going to say, they don't get it. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are not revealed to them because they simply don't care. They don't have spiritual ears to hear. They're not pursuing me. They're not loving me. They're not trying to be devoted to me. They are merely maybe a fan of me, but they're not a follower, and they will not understand what I'm about to say. Now, if you don't believe that, you can read the rest of the Gospels. How many times did Jesus say things and people backed up and go, that makes no sense to me? How about the religious leaders, right? Even they, the guys that are supposed to be closest to God, they had no idea what he was talking about sometimes. And so on one hand, Jesus taught parables to conceal the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom. So those who aren't bought in, those who don't give a rip about me, guess what? They're not going to get this. But those who do have ears to hear, those who aren't fans of me but are followers of me, those who have bought in are like, man, I want to be on your team. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to live for you. Those people, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to give them ears to hear. So when I speak and I teach, guess what? They get it. And to them, the mysteries of the kingdom of God will be revealed to them. And so the parable we're going to look at today is really talking about the mysteries of the soil. The mystery of the soil. It's actually one of my favorite parables. And, and what I would challenge you to do as we go through this, any of the gospel, but really this particular one, go to the other gospels. They all have different takes on it. Like Luke chapter 8 is, the, is Luke's version of this, sower in the seed, this, this soil. But in Matthew's gospel, we're going to look at the mystery of the soil. Now, there's really two things I want us to know as we kind of launch into this. It's on your listening guide. First of all is the types of soil... That Jesus talked about. Now, before we go any further, quick question. How many of you at some point in your Christian life have heard this message on the four different kinds of soils in Matthew or in Luke's gospel? How many of you heard those? Okay, awesome. So most of us are like, okay, I've heard this before, but I would submit this to you today. I've heard many, 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 many messages on this passage. Matthew, Luke's gospel, Mark's gospel, but many of them fall short of what Jesus is trying to get to because remember, he's revealing a mystery to people who once didn't understand, and those who are following him, all of a sudden now they're going to go, ah, I get it. And so he said there's four kinds of soils. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, verse 1, I'm just going to read. You can stay seated today because we have so much to read. Verse 1 says this, the same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them, now listen, wouldn't you love to have been that guy? I mean, Listen, Jesus had a following, didn't he? I mean, he went to get alone, and people found him. So I'm going to get on a boat. Guess what? They didn't leave. So what does he do? He just turns around and says, you know, they're here. I'm just going to start teaching, right? So he turns around, and they're on the seashore, and he starts teaching, and here's what he says. And he told this parable, saying, a sower went out to sow. 
and he sowed some seed, and it fell along the path, and the birds there came and devoured it, or ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced a grain a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, what? Let him hear. Now, if you're the average person that day, you're going, what? I mean, if you're the person that's not bought in, you've heard Jesus just give you an agricultural lesson. He just gave you a farming lesson here. He's talked about four soils. Now, the people in that day would have said, absolutely, what you're saying is true. We get it. It makes perfect sense to us. But then you'd be left with this question. What in the world are you talking about? So Jesus ends this by going, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, there's more here than what meets the eye. I know I just gave you an agricultural farming lesson. I know I didn't say anything you didn't know, but I want you to take what I said, and there's a spiritual application to what I said. Because at the end of the day, who cares about farming? Who cares about agriculture? At the end of the day, I'm trying to teach you spiritual truths. And so I've grabbed an earthly example, and there's so much more that meets the eye here. And only those of you that have ears to hear are going to get this. Now, real quickly, I want to define the soils because they come into play for the rest of the message today. There's four soils. The first one is the hard soil. Now, the hard soil, it says in the passage here, and you can look to Luke's gospel too, it talks about a path. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in some foreign countries where they don't have like asphalt roads and concrete roads, and so they have these paths that are traveled down. Many of them are walked down. And one thing you know if you walk down these paths, and these paths are walked on over and over and over and over again, the path gets to the place where it's impenetrable. Nothing can get through it. I mean, it's as hard as a rock, and nothing is going through there, right? And so he says, the first one is this hard soil. It's this path where everybody's walking, everybody's packing it down. It's as hard as a rock. I mean, there's nothing getting through this. But the sower threw some seed on it. Now, just a quick question if you're following with me. If you were a sower, why would you throw seed on a path? You ever thought about that one? Why throw seed on a path you know it's not going to penetrate? But this sower did. This sower, maybe you say, well, maybe he just wasn't thinking. He just kind of had the broadcast method. He just said, well, no, no, no. He threw it intentionally on this soil here. But this soil is a hard soil. It's impenetrable. I mean, nothing. And he says, the sower threw the seed out there. And obviously what happened to the seed? Nothing. It didn't take root. It didn't go in. It didn't penetrate. And the birds of the air came and did what? Ate it up. If you're a bird, you're loving that, right? I mean, that's an easy meal. You don't have to hunt anything down, chase. I mean, there's seed right there. I remember we lived in Missouri. I had this yard, and, I, and if I ever do it again, I'll, I'll think differently. We had this house, and it was brand new. We got to pick everything out, and we loved that part of it. We had no yard. And I thought, oh, it ought to be a piece of cake. Uh, you know, we'll throw a little grass seed down, a little fertilizer. We'll work it. Well, we lived there, what, 13 years, Sonia? And it was as bad the day we left as the day we moved in. I mean, it was terrible. Because every time you'd plant grass seed, guess what you'd have to run off to come eat the grass seed? Birds. I mean, they would come in, these blackbirds of all, I mean, they would come in like by the, by the thousands, and they would sit in your yard, and you would walk outside, and, and it would scare you to death. Why? Because seed was an easy target for them. So here's a hard soil that had this seed that's impenetrable, and the birds there came, and they ate it up. The second soil he talks about is a rocky soil. Now, let me clarify what he means. A rocky soil typically we think is like a bed of rocks, like the sower threw seed in a bed of rocks. That's not what he's talking about. This rocky soil was soil that had a minimal amount of soil on the top, but once you went down a little further, it was solid 
rock. Now, once again, let me give you a Missouri example. That's what Missouri's built on, just like a rock. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. I mean, every time you mow, there was like holes in our siding because I was shooting rocks. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. In fact, one day we had such a bad rainstorm that I, I decided I needed to get water away from the house. So I, I went to my, one of my downspouts, and I, I went and bought this hose and asked my dad to help me. My dad's like, boy, you can figure it out. And he was wrong, and so he had to come help me eventually. And so he came, I got out there, and I started digging. Well, the first, like, four inches, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. I can just dig a nice long trench, put this pipe in there, get the water in the house. Everything will be great. Won't have any issues. And then the second shovel down in there, rock. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's just this spot. So I filled the hole back in, and I moved to another section. And I go down a little further, and so, okay, this is going to be great. And then I go down the next shovel load, and guess what? Rock. And so then what should have been, now this is just my story, what should have been a couple hours worth of work turned into days of work because I'm terrible. And so what turned into just a shovel job turned into a pickaxe and a weak mind and a strong back kind of job. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, underneath this, what appeared to be great soil, was nothing but rock. That's what Jesus is talking about. The sower threw seed. Yeah, he threw it on the path, but he also threw it in rocky places. I mean, where the soil on the top looked good, the right beneath the soil is nothing but rock. And what happened to the seed that was thrown on there? Initially, it sprang up, didn't it? Initially, I mean, when there's a little bit of soil, it kind of it took. But the problem is that the roots ran into the rock. And guess what penetrates rock? Not a trick question. What penetrates rock? Nothing, right? It's not happening. And so when the sun comes out, what happens eventually to the plant? It dies. It withers. It's scorched. It withers. And guess what? It dies. It's not coming back. It looked good for a moment, temporarily, but it died. It's not coming back. And then he says, then there's this thorny soil. Now, this is one of the soils I don't think we're very familiar with, and so I do some research on this one. I'm like, what in the world would be thorny soil? So when you start studying the area of Palestine, what you find out is that there's some land that when it was killed looked beautiful, but it was corrupted with thorny whatever they're called. There's thorny elements. So as something tried to grow, all the thorns around them would grow, and it would choke it out. And there would be no really good production there. In fact, being a Missouri boy, once again, going back to Missouri, I can compare thorns to weeds, right? I mean, I mean, I, we were trying to plant and trying to plant, and one day I had a friend of mine, I have a men's small group that was coming to the house, and I'm going, you know, I finally got grass growing. Look at my front yard. The grass is so green. It's beautiful. And then the, my friend drives up, and he goes, that's not grass, man. That is weeds. You've got green, green, green weeds, but if you killed all the weeds, you'd have dirt in your yard. And I'm like, just shut up. Leave me alone. But the point was... That's what took hold. Well, this is the same thing here. Thorny soil, it's the thorny stuff that takes hold and chokes out the real seed. No fruit. And then he says there's a fourth soil here, and he says it's the good soil. The one that's receptive, and ultimately it produces fruit. Now, as I was doing some study, one of the scholars made a point that just kind of blew my mind. He said, you know, if you were living back in that day, if you were a farmer in the day, you would have heard the words of Jesus and you would go, that makes perfect sense to me. He said, in fact, probably most people would have drawn an image in their mind of walking down a path and a farmer sowing seeds. So if you've ever walked down a dirt road that's packed down, you know what a hard soil looks like, right? Amen? You with me on that? And then right off the hard soil would have been considered the rocky soil. Well, there may be some dirt, but below it is all the rocks. Guess where they came from? This hard path. It just kind of shifted out there. 
And then if you look just beyond the rocky soil, shortly off the path, you have a thorny soil where, you know, if you've ever been in a farming community, you've seen these hard roads, and then you see these rocky places beside it with a little bit of dirt and a lot of rock, and then just beyond that, you see something that looks like a bunch of weeds and nasty stuff. And then when you go beyond that, you get into the fields. And the fields, what do they do? That's where the good soil is, isn't it? And it produces a crop. So for these people listening to Jesus, it would have drawn this beautiful imagery of this path of these rocky places, of this thorny junk, and then of this good soil that's out in the fields. Now, Jesus gives us four soils, and you know what? He doesn't stop there. It'd be enough, you know, Jesus could have just stopped there and said, you know what? I hope you get the meaning of this. But like anything else, he comes back a little bit later, and he tells us the truth about the soils. If you have your Bibles, let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Hear the parable of the sower. In other words, this is what it means. Some of you are going to get it, some of you aren't. Here it is. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for those that were sown along the rocky ground, this is the ones who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. Yet there is no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. For as we, also, as for the, 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 that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of the riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And for, the one, and for what was sown on the good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and another, 30. So Jesus takes this four soils and he breaks it down and he gives us the truth about the soils. Here's the first truth I want you to write down. It's in your listening. It's this. The same seed was placed on all four, four soils. The same seed. Because there will be a real temptation to go, well, the good seed made it to the good ground, but the bad seed was thrown on the bad. Because you throw bad seed on the bad because you know what's going to happen. The bad seed's never going to take. And I want you to know this, that when you think about the kingdom of God, what is the seed? Luke tells us clearly what the seed is. The seed is the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. He even says it here. Look with me. Begin verse 18. He says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Now, what's he talking about? The good news. The good news is the seed. So here's the thing. The same seed was thrown on all four soils. Same seed. Wasn't a bad seed. The only difference, listen, was the conditions of each soil. That's what was different. So here's what I want you to notice out of the gate. Same seed, all four soils. The only difference was the condition and the receptivity of the soils they were thrown on. Here's the second thing where we're going to camp most of the rest of today is this, is that soils in this passage represent the hearts of people. This is the mystery that Jesus is unveiling, that the soils represent the hearts of people. And the soils, the way they respond to the seed is a reflection how people respond to the gospel, how people respond to the good news. If you're with me, say I'm with you. So now, let's think about the story in light of that. If it's all great seed, the word of God, it's the condition of the soil that's different. That makes sense. But the soil represents the hearts of mankind. 
It represents the hearts of humanity and how the soul's response to the seed is a reflection of how mankind and our hearts, our different hearts, respond to the good news of Christ. So first of all, he goes to the hard soil again. The hard soil is equal to a hard heart. When you think of a hard soil, it is comparable to that of a hard heart. Look with me in verse 19 one more time. He says this, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches it away what has been sown in the heart. This is sown along the path. In other words, the one that saw the hard soil, the heart, the picture of that person is a hard heart. There's someone who hears the gospel, listen, but they are hard to it. They hear the good news of Christ, but they're hard to it. And you might say, well, Doug, what do you mean they're hard to it? Here's what I mean. It means they are totally indifferent about spiritual things. They don't give a rip about spiritual things. In fact, when they look at life, they would chuck everything up to consequence. They would chuck everything up to coincidence. There would be no spiritual, so spiritual being driving the agenda and orchestrating. They would just simply say, I'm totally indifferent to spiritual things. I am hard to that gospel. They would go on to probably say something like this, that they believe that what we believe about the gospel that a dead man, that a guy came, loved us enough, died on a cross, rose again the third day, they would look at it and go, that's just foolishness. I mean, let's just be honest. Okay, can, can you be honest with me for a moment? Outside of faith, doesn't Christianity have some pretty bizarre things to think about? Think about it. I'm wretched, I'm pitiful, but yet there's a God who I can't see, can't feel, can't touch, who loves me, supposedly, you know, getting the heart of a non-believer, supposedly loves me, and he loved me enough that he sent not one of three sons. You go, well, I'll give that one up because he's like the least of all. And so I'll say, no, no, no. He gives the only one that he has, which even how that happened, woo-hoo, that's kind of like Twilight Zone, right? I mean, Mary, she was a teenager, and the Holy Spirit, cover, and well, I mean, that's like, a, that's like a soap opera waiting to happen, right? I mean, so this, he's going to send his only son. He grows up. We don't know about 30 years of his life because there's 30 years. He's doing his dad's trade, possibly just being a carpenter. He shows up on the scene. There's his baptism, and guess what? Heavens open up. It was crazy, and this dove kind of float down, and we heard this voice. I mean, it's nutso, and then he went, and he lived, and then people were like spitting on him and saying, ugly things about him but he just like give me some more give me some more i can take all that and then he went to a cross and he died a terrible a criminal's death and then he put him in a grave and now you're saying that they went and three days later he rose from the grave that is crazy you see how they could think that that's why faith is so important because to the logical mind (laughs) this makes no sense right See, to the logical mind and to the hard soul person, they're going to say, listen, it's not a, it, my life is not about following someone who loves My life is about getting mine. My life is about doing the best I can do and achieving what I can achieve and attaining all that I want to attain. It's not about faith. It's not about trusting. It's about me trusting me and nobody else. Do you see how that would be a hard soil? Totally indifferent to spiritual things. They're the person that thinks what we believe is foolishness. And here's the crazy, can, can I just be honest with you? Here's the crazy thing about Christianity. We look at those people and go, they're just crazy. No, 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 they think we're crazy. That's why we got to love them. That's why we lead them to the truth of the gospel. We don't beat it in their brains hoping they get it. I mean, no, no, we have to be tender to them because they think what we believe is crazy. It's foolishness. But here's the big thing about someone who's got a hard heart is they are totally unaware and unremorseful because they have no conviction of the sin that's raging in their life. No remorse. You know, in fact, they would probably be offended if you called what they did in their life sin. 
If you looked at someone who didn't know Christ, and they were that hard soul, and you say, you know what? When you go out and, and you do these things, and you, and you do this, or you, whatever the sin you want to throw out there, it doesn't matter. You know, you cheat on your tax, whatever. And you, that, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. They would be offended by that. Because they have no remorse and no conviction of the Holy Spirit that what they're doing is sinful. Their hearts are hard. Are you getting the picture here? Jesus says there's a hard soil, but there's also a hard heart. There's those who hear the word and they reject it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. And listen, they become easy prey for the devil. He comes and he snatches the word away from them. He comes and he kind of slides into the life and distracts them and takes the word away from them and feeds them all the pleasures of the world, snatches it away. And then he goes to the next soil. He says this. You've got the rocky soil. And the rocky soil is equivalent to those who have a shallow heart. This is where I want you to really think with me for a minute. Verse 20 says this. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Everybody underline joy in your Bible. That's a big part here. Yet he has no what? He has no what? No root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, let me tell you about this person. This, this rocky soil reflects a shallow heart. Here's what happens. The people who have a shallow heart, when they hear the good news of Jesus, they are so receptive to it. I mean, when you start talking about forgiveness of sins, and you start talking about going to heaven when you die, I mean, who wouldn't be on board with that, right? I mean, there's some people that when they hear that, man, they are like, whoo yes. Do I want forgiveness of sins? Yes. Do I want to have a room in his mansion? Yes. Do I want to walk the streets of gold? Yeah, I can't imagine what it is, but I'm in for that one. They receive it with joy when they hear it. I mean, there's people that hear the good news of Christ, and there is no resistance to it. But here's what I want you to notice in the text. There was an outward expression, not an inward change. Did you see that in the passage? When they received it with joy when they heard it. There's there's this outward expression. There's this outward feeling. There's this outward emotional excitement. But guess what? He says there was no root in them. In other words, the problem is this person, and they received this with great enthusiasm, but their heart was shallow because there was no inward change. There was nothing that took root in them. Now think about that for a moment. They hear the gospel, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm there. Forgiveness of sin, heaven, whoo, I'm with you. But there's no root. There's this outward emotional excitement, but nothing's changed on the inside. See, when they heard the gospel, man, there was this positive response. But here's the problem. The response was temporary. And here's what I want you to write down. It's not in your listening guide, but I want you to write this down because this is something for us to ponder. For them, the gospel brought emotional ex- an emotional experience. It did not bring a salvation experience. The gospel for them brought an emotional experience, but not a salvation experience. And so, Doug, what's the evidence of that? Well, let's look back at verse 21. Here's the evidence of that. Verse 21 says this. Yet they had no root in themselves, 
but endures, that it endures for a while, but when tribulation and persecution on account of the word comes, immediately they fall away. In other words, these people, when they hear the gospel, they're excited, but there's no change in the heart. And here's the evidence for these people. When you start talking about heaven, yes. When you talk about forgiveness of sins, yes. But when you talk about what it means to really follow Jesus and the commitment that Jesus calls us to, I'm not about that one. Heaven, I'm all for heaven. Getting my sins forgiven, I'm all for that. But you mean Jesus tells me how I'm supposed to handle my money? Yeah, he does. You mean this book tells me how I'm supposed to deal with relationships? Yes, it does. You mean this book tells me the behaviors and the attitudes and actions I should have and shouldn't have? Yes, it does. See, there's people that get emotionally excited about going to heaven, emotionally excited about my sins forgiven, but at the end of the day, they are shallow-hearted because it doesn't take root in them. There's this outward emotional excitement, but there's never been an inward change. So when you talk about real commitment to Jesus, they're going, I'm out. And it says they fall away. Really, it should be translated, and they walk away. They walk away. Here's a question. You ever known somebody like that? I have. I've known people in my life, and, and, maybe, and maybe even some names coming up, people in my, I've known some, there's some people, and there's one in particular I have in my mind right now, someone that came, and they, they were kind of the peripheral of the Christian faith, and they started coming to church, we lived in, in Missouri, and they started loving it, and God started working on them, and the point came in their life where they started going, okay, this is what real faith looks like, now I got a decision, am I in or am I out? Guess what they chose? Out. And they walked away. And for someone who was so faithful and coming so much, and God was beginning to work so much in their lives, and there's so much excitement about forgiveness of sin, and so much excitement about heaven, and so much excitement, that point where they had to make a choice, the shallowness of their heart was revealed, and they walked away. You know people like that? Are you like that? See, I, what I'm saying to you is this. A shallow heart, a rocky place, is someone who's excited about the gospel and what it does for me. But it's just an outward emotional. Like, you remember the soil when he planted the seed? What happened? It sprung up quickly, outwardly. It looked great. But it died. You know why? It had no root. There's people that hear the gospel and go, I want to go to heaven. I want sins forgiven. But when it comes to living for Jesus the way I'm told to, I'm out. And guess what? There's no evidence in that of salvation. See, for them, the gospel brought an emotional experience. It didn't bring a salvation experience. Look with me at the next soil, the thorny soil, verse 22. The thorny soil is, is, is equal to that of a corrupt heart. The thorny soil represents someone with a corrupt heart. Look with me in verse 22. It says this. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, listen, but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves what? Unfruitful. See, the corrupt heart is someone who hears the word, but here's the truth about them. They are wrapped up in the world. They love the things of the world. Now, let me just pause there for a minute, because you can go later and read this. But in 1 John chapter 2, John says a lot about loving the world. He says, if you, if, you, if you love the lust of the flesh, and you love the pride of life, and you love the lust of the eyes, and you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you, period. And it's an indictment against those people that say, I want to love Jesus and love the world. Can you do both? Listen, 
Can you do both? And I'm not talking about, you know, I do, I do love a good movie. Or I don't know what I'm talking about. I love the Lord, and equally with that same weight of the word love, I love the world. Can you do both? The answer is no, but don't we know people that try to do both? And so he's saying here, listen, these people are wrapped up in the world. Listen, they, they, listen, these people probably have made a token profession of faith, but here's the truth. Here's the truth about them, that they, their first love is the things of the world. That's why John in the book of Revelation spoke harshly to the church of Ephesus when he says this, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your what? Guess what? Your first love. See, these people have probably made a token profession of faith, but their first love is the world, not Jesus. And because of that, guess what? The worries of the world choke them out. See, when you worry about stuff as a believer, where are we supposed to turn to for strength and wisdom and guidance? To Jesus, to the Lord, right? But if you love the world, where do you turn to? You don't turn to the Lord. You turn to how you can figure this mess out. You turn to a person that can help you figure out how to, how to financially get through this terrible time or how to get through this relational terrible time. We turn to the world, and the worries of the world choke us out for those that love the world. Choke us out. But no one talks about the worries of the world. He talks about the riches of the world. See, people who love the world are led to crave the riches the world offers. Do you know what riches the world offers? It offers power, prestige, popularity, teenagers, and wealth. And when you love the world, guess what craves? Now listen, everybody look at me here because I don't want you to walk away confused. Is there anything wrong that God has positioned you in a place of power in your job? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with God giving you and blessing you financially so you can bless others? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with the prestige that comes with your position at work that people respect you because of where you sit? Absolutely not. But when that is the chief desire of your heart and the chief craving of your heart is to have more and to be more known and to have more stuff, that is someone who loves the world, not someone who loves the Lord. Are you with me on that one? It's a thorny soil represents a corrupt heart. And here's the result. Their hearts are corrupt. And here's the big word here, and I want you to underline this. that It chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. Unfruitful means their lives produce zero fruit. Their lives, they claim to love the Lord, but they love the world more, and guess what? As a result, their life proves and produces no fruit. Now, I can't tell you the number of people in my life that I've met that are trying to live in two kingdoms. And Jesus, didn't, didn't we talk about this when it came to money back in January? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Didn't he talk about that? You know why? Because he knows your heart can only belong to one person. Your heart can only belong to one thing. Either you love the world and all the world offers, or you love the Lord and you trust him and you obey him. You can't serve two masters. And as a result... These people have a corrupt heart. Now, the last soil, before we close, is this. It's the good soil. Look at verse 23. And it says this. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and indeed it bears what? It bears what? It bears fruit and yields. In one case, 100. one case, 60. And another 30. In other words, it bears fruit. The good soil represents a changed heart. Someone who heard the gospel received the gospel, and it took root in their lives, and their lives are forever changed. That's the good soil. 
And as a result of someone receiving the gospel and it taking root, guess what the result is? Their life bears fruit. Now, as we close today, I know this passage is one of those that's, that's like, man, where are we going with this? And I'm going to tell you why this passage is so important. I want to give you three takeaways. It's not on your listening guide, but I want you to write them down. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write them down. Three takeaways. Here's the first one. Good soil produces good fruit, and believers should produce fruit. Good soil produces good fruit, and believers should be producing fruit. Amen? Now, the book of James, it says this. Faith without works is what? Dead. Now, that's probably one of the most misinterpreted verses in all the Bible. Because some people want to take and go, no, 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 that means you've got to work for your salvation. Well, that's not what James said at all. I mean, there's nothing about that. What James said this, that if you claim to have faith, there should be evidence in your life of that faith. If there's no evidence, guess what? No faith. Are you with me on that one? Hey, if I claim to have a, follow, a relationship with Jesus Christ and there's nothing in my life that bears evidence and fruit that I follow Jesus, if there's no evidence, guess what? There's no faith. That's what James is saying. Faith without works is dead. Because if you trust the Lord, there's going to be an overflow in your life and evidence that you belong to him. Now, why am I saying that? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be fruit in our lives. Now, I'm not saying we don't have seasons of rebellion and seasons of questioning and seasons of doubt. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is our lives should bear fruit, right? Now, here's the reason this passage is so important to me. The first time I ever heard it preached is probably one of the only times I really took good notes. And as I look back on those notes in my mind, I don't have them anymore because it's been many, many years ago. I think this this is just wrong. Because here's what we do with this passage. Here's what we want to do. We want to take the hard soil and go, okay, those are people that are unsaved, right? They're, they're hard to the gospel and they never respond. Well, we'd be right about that. And then we want to take the other soil. We want to take the rocky soil and go, well, they received it with joy, but there was a moment where they kind of they walked away. There's a moment they kind of let it go. We're going to call them couch potato Christians, right? We're going to call those people just, I mean, they, they know they're saved, but they just get lazy in their faith. And then we're going to take the thorny soil, and we're going to call them carnal Christians. They're people that love Jesus, but they get wrapped up in the things of the world. And then we've got the good soil. The good soil of those who love Jesus and are producing fruit. We're going to call them super Christians, right? They're radical in their faith. Here's what I want to submit to you today. Only one soil represents a saved person. Only one. They're not talking about a couch potato Christian. Jesus is not talking about a carnal Christian. He's not even talking about a radical Christian. Listen, why do we put an adjective to being a Christian? Being a Christian means following, loving, and living for the Lord, period. And when I see somebody do it, if I got to call them radical, maybe it's because I've dumbed it down in my life and thinking that somehow that I don't have to live for him. Listen, there's no such thing as a radical follower. You either are a follower or you're not a follower, period. And if you claim to love and live for Jesus, there should be evidence produced in our lives. There's not such thing as a carnal Christian or couch potato Christian. Listen, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was saying there's those people that are deceived. There's those that are hard. We know they're hard. They're not receptive to the gospel. There's those that are, that are, that are shallow. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want to commit to this, and they, they, they wither and they die. And then there's those that say that they want to know Christ, but they're so in love with the world, it just kind of chokes it out. But then there are people who hear my word, receive it, it takes root, and they produce fruit. That is the only one that reflects the Christian. You see that with me this morning? You see that? 
That's your first takeaway. Second takeaway is this, and we'll wrap this up. Bad soil can't change itself to good soil. Can't happen. Some people are just so hard, so shallow, and so corrupt to receive the seed, the gospel, in a transformative way, which leads me to my third takeaway. Only God can change the hearts of man. Do you believe that? Ezekiel says this. Ezekiel chapter 36 says this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I will take away the heart and I'll give you that which is moldable. See, only God can change the heart of a person. So here's the challenge for us today. For those of you in the room today that say, hey, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's my question for you. Are you producing fruit? When you look at your life, is there evidence in your life that you belong to him? Now, am I causing you to question your faith? Absolutely not. But what I'm asking you to do is put a mirror up in front of you and go, is there evidence in my life? If people that didn't know me saw the way I lived my life, is there evidence that I belong to him? I'm not saying take out the moments of great failure. Take out the moments where we struggle. Take out the seeds. I'm talking about the long haul of your life. I've claimed to be a Christian for 30 some odd years of my life. Could people see evidence in 30 years that I belong to him? Could they see that in you? And if your answer is yes to that, here's my question. Are you sowing some seed? See, what we didn't talk about was the sower, right? The sower wasn't just talking about God, talking about us too. We're all sowers. And we don't have a right to say, I'm only going to sow on the good part. Like for those who come to church, I'm going to go soil with them. I'm going to go seed and put my seed down with them. I'm going to go and talk to them about the gospel. No, no, no. We have to sow the seed of the gospel everywhere we go. In the hard places, the rocky places, the thorny places, and in the good places. Everywhere we go, as light bearers, we sow seed. And are you sowing that seed? If you're producing fruit, are you sowing a seed? And then for those of you here today that say, you know what, Doug? I've been hard to the gospel. I'm like that hard soul. Here's my prayer for you. That God and only God would begin to massage and to soften your heart today. And if you're here today and you are super honest and said, you know what, Doug? I'm the shallow soil. I was 13. I was at camp. And I ran the aisle, jumped the pew, whatever you did. And I said yes to Jesus. But there's been no evidence. I say I love the Lord, but I don't, I don't feel connected. I don't read my Bible. I don't, there's no evidence. But today, I want to make that right. Today, I want to surrender my life for real. I want to take root in me. Or maybe you're here today and say, you know what, I'm that thor- like that thorny soil, Doug. My, my heart has been corrupted. I am so in love with the world that today I want to lay the love of the world down, and I want to pick up the love of the Father. And if you're that thorny soil, that, that shallow heart or that corrupt heart, and today you say for the first time, I really understand, and I want to give my life to Christ, would you do that? I'm going to ask you this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just stay seated for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And then when I'm done, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And you're going to have a chance to respond. But I want to say this to you. If you're the believer in the room today, are you bearing fruit? Is there evidence in your life? And if not, I'm going to ask you to join me at this altar and say, God, I want people to know about you. God, I want to share your love and your, and your mercy with people. God, would you position me in places to be your light in a dark world? If you're not bearing the fruit you should be bearing and, you've, and you're in a season of doubt or struggle, would you just join me at this altar and say, Lord, I need you today? But if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you have that shallow heart or you have that corrupt heart, that one that thought you kind of came to Christ, but when you look at your life, there's no evidence, there's no proof. All you know is that you love the world more today than you've ever loved the world. 
But today you want to lay it down. Today you want to say, for the first time, I trust Christ. Would you do that? And it's as simple as this. You say, Lord, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've missed this thing. But I receive that Jesus died for me and rose again. And it's not just a surface thing for me today, Lord. Today I want to take root in my life. I want you to bear fruit in my life. I want my life to be about making much of Jesus, not making much of me. So come into my life, Lord. Save me. And if you'll do that, the Bible says he will come in and he will save you. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to know it. I would love for you to meet me down front and share that with me or just put it on your welcome card that today you gave your life to Christ so we could follow it up. I'm going to ask you right now, quietly, everybody stand with me as I pray. Everybody just stand. And I'm going to pray to the Lord. Father God, I love you. And I know this passage is one of those that's like, oh, it seems so clear, but there's so much more that meets the eye. We thought we were just talking about soils. Truth is, we're talking about hearts. And God, I pray for all the believers in the room today as we look at this passage that we be reminded that Jesus pointing out to us that there's only one soil that represents those who are saved that are really belong to him. So God, I do pray for the, those who have a hard heart today that you would soften them. But God, today my heart and my prayer and my mind goes to those that look at their lives and go, I was the shallow soil. I was the shallow hearted person. I was that thorny, corrupt soil. I made a token decision. It was exciting in the moment, but it has not changed my life. God, I pray today they would not leave this place until they decide today I want my life changed. Today, I want Jesus to invade my life, my heart, and my way of doing things and change my attitudes, my actions, and all of my behaviors, but most importantly, change my heart. So God, I pray for that today. I pray for those who need to do that. They'd be faithful to respond. And then God, I pray for the believers. As we look at our lives and ask, are we producing fruit? Are we sowing the seed of your gospel? Would you just convict us if we're not? And we find ourselves at this altar and just praying to you and crying out to you saying, Lord, do a new work in me. God, we love you. And we need you in this moment. For in your precious son's name we pray. And everyone said amen. If you need to come pray, this altar is open. If you need to receive Christ or you just did that, I'll be right here. Or you can take the welcome card. But listen to me, for everybody in the room, the Lord has something for all of us. Amen? And let's not leave this place until we've done business with him. Patrick, you lead us and you respond as you feel led.